Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, March 5th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm on my way to a BFA's Natalie Nowak. James had some stuff happen in the feed earlier this weekend. First up, we had Jan Simpson back with a new episode of Stagecraft, where she interviewed Hamad Chaudhry, the playwright behind An Ordinary Muslim that is currently playing off-Broadway. So highly recommend listening to the brilliance that is Jan Simpson talk to the brilliance that is Hamad Chaudhry. And then on this week on Broadway, you had Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson again talking about the amateurs over at the Vineyard Theater, which Natalie talked about last week. And I laughed at because I thought it was a hilarious premise. They also Mm -hmm. talked about Edward Albee's At Home at the Zoo. Um, The subways are for singing at the, uh, the, the musicals in Mufti and then Kings and a bunch of other stuff. So anything else jump out at you from this week on Broadway that bears mentioning now? No, I mean that really covers it. We we went deep on we went deep on the uh, Alby stuff. So uh, and Jan Jan gave a really strong re- uh, recommendation for the Alby plays over at Signature. Uh, so that's something to think about. We also talked about uh, uh, lyrics and lyricists, the Leonard Bernstein. Uh, uh, over at 92nd Street Y, and that 92nd Street Y has got um, a couple of things happening very soon. I think tonight is It Should Have Been You in Concert. I think that's the tonight thing. Yeah. And then um, uh, and then also the band's visit in April. The uh, cast and creative team is going to be at 92nd Street Y talking about the band's visit in April, which I think is going to be a very hot ticket. So uh, get on the inside track and get those tickets if they're still available. All right. First up in the news, Michael Riedel's latest and perhaps final New York Post column. Yeah, just to be clear, Riedel hasn't said that this would be his final column with a post. I kind of expected there to be some sort of addendum to this when it went up on Friday saying farewell. However, he didn't say that, but it has been reported that his final column was posted on Friday and with his new radio gig starting today. Who knows? As Michael Paulson from The New York Times said that they are hoping to have his column back in some form, maybe less regularly. But I assume that he'll be writing something for someone somewhere. Maybe it's the post. Maybe it's not. But I will keep every day I check before I start writing the script. I check his New York Post page. So I'll keep checking that for a couple of weeks just to make sure we don't miss anything. But in the column that posted on Friday, he explained why one of his other recent stories didn't actually come to fruition, and that is that Martin McDonough's Hangman was supposed to transfer to Broadway ahead of next month's Tony deadline. However, that is not going to happen. As we talked about last week, I think, it is extended at the Atlantic, so it will not be coming to Broadway next month. You'll remember that he had previously reported that the show was looking to finalize plans for a hasty move from the Atlantic to Broadway's court theater. Well, that plan has apparently been postponed for a number of reasons, including the fact that such a quick transfer that apparently wasn't planned was proving hard to get investors behind the show. When you have such a little lead time, you don't have a chance to kind of prep things and get everything planned, meaning that they would have had to have spent more money than they would have if they'd have been able to plan for this transfer in advance. However, according to Riedel, one of the other major reasons is that one of the show's stars, John Flynn, is about to be unavailable as he and his wife are expecting a child. And since this is a transfer from the UK, he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice of being in America while his wife and new uh, and new child were all the way over in London. So he wasn't 
going to be on board to take the show to Broadway right away. And since he is giving what is expected to be a Tony contending performance, insiders say that there's just no way that they would have been willing to bring the show to the main stem without him. However, the show's producers do say that they expect it to be on the Great White Way next season, and it is expected to be a Tony contender then. But as this is possibly Reel's last column, the reporting didn't stop there, as he wrote that while the court won't be getting the hangman, it might be getting a prom, the Bob Martin, Chad Bagellan, and Matthew Sklar musical that we have talked about already is set to open at that theater in the fall, according to Riedel. They've already announced their cast, which features Brooks Ashmanskis, Beth Level, Christopher Sieber, and more. And finally, Riedel says to keep an eye out on a new musical, Lempicka. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's about a celebrated Polish painter. Um, we've actually discussed the show a number of times before because Rachel Chavkin is directing and Carmen Cusack is starring and the show will play the Williamstown Theater Festival this summer. Apparently, it had a recent flashy presentation for investors that was really impressive. So potentially after WTF, it could be heading to NYC. So Guys, whether it's his last column or not, Riedel certainly gave us a lot to chew on on Friday. Um, I think the uh, I, I think the Lempicka stuff is probably the most interesting to me because, um, you know, Rachel Chavkin and Carmen Cusack seems like a, a pretty dynamite team to be, to be bringing a new musical to Broadway. It does seem like that. We talked about the Williamstown Theater Festival. Uh, production of this this summer and we'll have to see if we get some uh some spies up there to tell us <laughs> yeah if Riedel's not doing his column anymore can we have his spies he seems to have spies everywhere i want yeah. spies spies That'd you know cool. I, mean, I mean i feel like after after chess was a i guess it was a hit in dc there's a lot of backroom dealings going on we can we can work something out with spies all over the place so hit us up if you want to be a spy Hey, Natalie, can you be a spy? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, think, I think if you talk about it in public, though, that negates the effectiveness of having a spy. The first rule of a spy club is that. <laughs> I, watch, I watch the Americans. I know a lot about dead drops and, and wearing wigs to disguise yourself. <laughs> I feel very on top of being a spy in the 1980s Cold War. Hmm. We'll have to uh, take this offline and perhaps talk about our spy careers. <laughs> so uh, other spies are saying that uh, getting the band back together gets most of its band back together. Yes. On Friday, we also learned a good chunk of the principal cast for the much anticipated long ballyhooed new musical, Getting the Band Back Together. Some of the cast is returning from a 2013 production at the George Street Playhouse, and some of them are new to the show. Mitchell Jarvis uh, will return to the lead role of Mitch Papadopoulos, although with news recently, they might want to look into changing that last name. He will be joined by Jay, <laughs> be joined by Jay Clates, Paul Witte, Sawyer Nunez, Brandon Williams, and Tamika Lawrence. The team that is currently behind Jerry Springer, the opera, is also working on this. John Rando directs and Chris Bailey choreographs. The show features music and lyrics by Mark Allen and a book by Ken Davenport and the Grundle Shots with additional material by Sarah Salzberg. Nice that the Grundle Shots actually got credited in the press release this time. The show is scheduled to begin performances at the Belasco Theater on July 19th with an official opening on August 13th. James, Natalie, I, I got nothing. How can somebody new be joining the getting the band back together? It's very confusing. 
it seems it seems like you would want to get the old people back together, but apparently yeah. that's not not how they roll. Hmm. Uh, you got nothing? Absolutely nothing. I mean, I got a lot, <laughs> but nothing I feel comfortable talking about on a podcast. What about that Ohio State Penn State basketball game on Friday? You want to talk about that? So, in a show and casting news, uh, I don't remember, <laughs> but James. <laughs> I didn't remember this, but James reminded me that apparently I predicted that this would happen after it happened the first time. But on Friday, Variety reported that NBC has again postponed Bye Bye Birdie Live. It was originally supposed to take place in December of 2017. Then it was postponed to 2018. And now the Peacock Network is saying 2019. I'm still placing my money on 20 never, but I could be wrong. (laughs) The reported issue is apparently the fact that the announced star and co-producer Jennifer Lopez is already working on two shows for NBC, Shades of Blue and her dance competition uh, dance competition show World of Dance. So she just doesn't have time to, con- you know, to focus on Bye Bye Birdie Live. Of course, that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mention the fact that doing Bye Bye Birdie Live is a terrible choice for a live musical treatment in today's day and age. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. As always, Neil Marin and Craig Zidane were, I mean, are set to co-produce with J-Lo and Harvey Firestein will return to punch up the teleplay. Um, guys, this isn't in the script, but I just, bye bye. they need to just say, we're not doing Bye Bye Birdie Live. It was not a good idea when they originally announced it. I think we said that when it was originally announced. And it's mm-hmm. it's an even worse choice now. It just keeps getting worse. I think that doing, I, I understand they want to do things that are family friendly, but I've talked about this before on this. I've written about it. I've talked about it in other places. There is such a small window of shows that people will actually tune in to watch and you have to get the right ones. And I just can't imagine that Bye Bye Birdie will do a fraction of the audience that either Sound of Music or Grease did. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't I don't think it'll do anywhere near what Jesus Christ Superstar is going to do. I think Jesus Christ Superstar, because of the benefit of it not being a full production and doesn't have to rehearse for three months, was able to get a couple big names to lead the cast. And as big as J-Lo is, I don't know that that can counteract the nothing burger that is Bye Bye Birdie for the majority of the popular audience today. So I hope they move on from this. I hope they put it back in the recesses of A Few Good Men Live, which apparently isn't happening either, although I... I think that would do much better. I just, I don't see the need. I I think that you hit upon it. There, there, there's two distinctly different productions. There's Bye Bye Birdie Live, and then there's Bye Bye Birdie Live with J Lo. Uh, yeah. And I think that it, it's all about the J Lo. You know, if people are going to tune in or not. Uh, and so they should find a better show for her to be a part of if they really want to lock her in and get her to do a a live. Uh, musical broadway musical you know maybe i mean they speed the plow or something <laughs> following in following in madonna's footsteps um yeah i yeah I, I don't i mean i'd be fine if they just didn't do one with jayla but whatever i mean i could see hey maybe she could be a good svetlana in chess who knows let's do chess live uh natalie what you're you're of a more target audience uh age range than james or i are Mm -hmm. Uh, what what do you think about bye bye birdie live i mean it doesn't it doesn't really appeal to me that much the only reason why i would tune in would be because of j-lo but i just don't think i just don't think it appeals to a wide audience. I really don't. Yeah. 
I concur. But something that will appeal to a live audience is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. On Friday, we learned that that show would be bringing over its lottery system from London beginning this Friday. How it works is every Friday at 1 p.m. New York time, the show will release 40 tickets for every performance for the following week. And they apparently will be for some of the very best seats in the house, and they'll be just for $40. Now, that's not $40 for each half of the show, since there's two parts, but $40 total, 20 to 20 bucks. Per part. These tickets are known as the Friday 40 and will only be available through the official website, todayticks.com, or the Today Ticks app. Entries will be accepted via Today Ticks each Friday from 12.01 a.m. until 1 p.m. for the following week's performances. Winners will be notified between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. of that day. Winners then will have a chance to purchase one or two tickets for that total of 40 bucks to parts one and parts two for the following week. Um, so they can obviously bring a guest with them. Uh, of course, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child begins performances on March 16th. And the official opening is set for April 22nd at the Lyric Theater. A, the marquee at the Lyric is gorgeous. And B, James, this is exactly what Springsteen on Broadway is doing, right? Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Uh, sorry okay uh, you know i'm not talking anymore to my former friends at broad wasted <laughs> oh yeah because they went they went last night didn't they or on yes. saturday and uh who was it that taunted me oh scott McHugh. yeah oh. scott McHugh is like uh hey uh broad wasted people shouldn't you bring james you know a2 brute so to answer your question yes Harry Potter seems to be doing the same thing as that Springsteen show. Which means nothing at all like it. Hey, uh, do you you see what they're doing in uh, in London with Hamilton? I think that maybe they're doing it with Harry Potter, too, to cut back on the scalping. There, there's actually no—it's it, all electronic ticketing. There's no paper tickets, and you can't transfer mm-hmm. ownership of the tickets. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think that's complicated. Um, that might be something we can discuss in depth a little more. I just I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that uh, for a number of reasons. But, but we the, can get into that. But the Harry Potter thing, it seems like, is going off the charts already on the secondary markets. Not even, not even in previews mm-hmm. yet. Wow. Yeah, Harry Potter tickets are uh, you know, getting in the realm of Hamilton. And Springsteen tickets on the secondary markets. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Um, a couple more things I want to talk about in this section. First up, our friends over at Bright Colors and Bold Patterns have again extended off Broadway. This time they will be currently set to run through Sunday, April 1st over at the Soho Playhouse. That show was uh, written by Drew Drogi and directed by Michael Yuri. Drogi originally starred. And he left to go back to Hollywood, and the show currently stars Jeff Hiller. So if you want to check that one out, please go over to Soho Place House and see that. And then finally, in this section, the 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 great, the legendary, the utterly brilliant genius, Tommy Wiseau, is apparently working on bringing his beloved film, The Room, to Broadway. He said in a recent interview with ScreenRant.com, first, I want to do The Room on Broadway. That will be the first thing. Not off-Broadway, on-Broadway. Now, I'm not going to do a uh, Tommy Wiseau impression. If you are familiar with who he is, I'm sure you can come up with one on your own. 
if you are unfamiliar with Tommy Wiseau and The Room, The Room is described as the worst movie ever made. But because of that, it has gained a cult following across the country, and it is the making of The Room was made into a movie of its own called The Disaster Artist, which is an Academy Award-nominated film this year, because it was uh, written and co-starred James Franco, it and all the junk that he's going through, it probably didn't get as much attention as it would have otherwise, but it is nominated for a couple Academy Awards. It, the Room is awful. The Disaster Artist was fine. I didn't like it. I didn't hate it. But uh, there is literally no chance that this is coming to Broadway. But just the fact that Tommy Wiseau wants to bring it to Broadway is so perfectly Tommy Wiseau. James, now that you have any idea who or what I am talking about? Uh, only because you made a reference back to the Franco movie. Uh, yes, yes. It's uh, that movie with him and his brother Dave and Seth Rogen. It's uh, it's a tr- the original movie is a train wreck. To see to see him say he wants to bring it to Broadway is <laughs> hilarious. All right. Excellent. Well, you know, maybe he can be the missing band member. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. I like, I like it. All right. What do we have in recommendations? All right. I don't want to get in, spend a lot of time on these because I know Natalie's got to get us the uh, weekly schedule. But first up, my colleague over at Broadway World, Kara Joy David, posted a new industry exclusive article, uh, and it was titled To Dim or Not to Dim, How Broadway Chooses When to Dim Its Marquees. James, we've had some conversations about this between you and I. She has some great um, insights on how this works. Um, a, a hot button topic for a lot of people f- a number of times over the course of, of the last few years with Kyle Jean Baptiste, obviously most recently Jan Maxwell, uh, but also Joan Rivers and a bunch of other people too. So um, if you want to read more about that, head over to the show notes at broaderradio.com. And then on Friday, we had the most recent Hamill drop, which, you know, we've talked about these before. They had uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda releases something on the last Friday of every month. Technically, it wasn't Friday of February because it only has 28 days. But anyway, it was the February Hamill drop, and it was the Hamilton Polka from Weird Al Yankovic. It is hilarious. And then on Friday night, Lynn and Weird Al went on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and they talked about it and then lip synced to it. It was the dorkiest thing you've ever seen, but it was pure (laughs) dork joy. So if you haven't seen it, Check out the video in the show notes at broaderradio.com. You can get the Hamilton Polka uh, anywhere. I mean, pretty much uh, at this point, just Google it and you'll find it anywhere you want. But um, it's really funny. It's Weird Al singing a bunch of songs from Hamilton in five minutes and doing it to a polka beat with an accordion background. So it's just (laughs) as wonderful as you would imagine. I can't wait until Lin-Manuel Miranda is on uh, Jordan Roth's uh, YouTube show. Uh, Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) All right, Natalie, what do we have in this week's theatrical schedule? Well, first up, a letter to Harvey Milk will open on Tuesday at Theater Rose Acorn Theater. Set in San Francisco in 1986, the story follows two unlikely people brought together by a letter penned to Harvey Milk, the first openly gay elected politician in California. This production is based on the short story of the same title by Leslie Newman. The cast is led by Broadway star Adam Heller, who you may know from Les Mis, Victor Victoria, It Should Have Been You, and more. This production will run through May 13th. The public theaters The Low Road will open on 
Wednesday. Four-time Tony nominee Michael Greif directs this production. The show features 16 actors in 50 roles, examining the basic beliefs upon which we've built our economy and our country. The cast features Kevin Chamberlain, Harriet Harris, Daniel Davis, and more. The Low Road will run through April 1st. Roundabout Theatre Company's off-Broadway production and New York premiere, Bobby Clearly, will begin previews on Thursday. Bobby killed Casey in the middle of a cornfield in Milton, Nebraska, and two years later, Milton's residents are ready to tell you their sides of the story in this comedy about a tragedy. Bobby Clearly is set to open on April 3rd. The new group's Good for Auto will open on Thursday. Through the microcosm of a rural Connecticut mental health center, Tony Award-winning playwright David Rabe conjures a whole American community on the edge. Inspired by a real clinic, Rabe finds humor and compassion in a society and a system stretched beyond capacity. Good for Auto will run through April 1st. Classic Stage Company's production of Julius Caesar will begin previews on Friday. Political alliances face off in Shakespeare's tragedy of a democracy gone wrong. And fun fact, this production is specifically tailored for young audiences. So I think that is pretty cool. And Julius Caesar will officially open on March 16th. The Actors Company Theater's Three Wise Guys will open on Sunday. On Christmas Eve in 1932, three New York guys who are not especially fond of the season find themselves in Good Time Charlie's Speakeasy. The three guys agree to band together and take to the road to avoid the holiday, but over the course of the night, they inadvertently spread good cheer to everyone. Three Wise Guys will run through April 14th. Irish Repertory Theaters, these three small Irish masterpieces will open on Sunday. Politics, humor, language, and deep tragedy are explored in these three one-acts written by John Millington Singh, Lady Gregory, and William Butler Yeats, respectively. This production is set to close on April 15th. Now moving on to this week's closings. MCC Theater's Relevance will close on Sunday. The original Broadway production, The Parisian Woman, will also close on Sunday. In Chicago, Steppenwolf Theater's production, You Got Older, will close on Sunday. Lastly, New York Theater Workshops and Ordinary Muslim will close on Sunday. And that was this week's schedule. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you here, guys. I, I didn't realize that the Parisian woman was still running. You know, uh, we talked about um, something last week. Blair, yeah, Blair Brown. Was it Blair Brown? And- yeah, Blair Brown was cast in Mary Page Marlowe off-Broadway. And uh, and you you had mentioned it was being represented on Broadway by the Parisian woman. I said, I said I was like, oh, you know, we have to check that. Oh, it is still running. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I was writing this this week, I was like, wait a minute, didn't it already close? And then I was like, yeah. oh no, guess guess it didn't. No, yeah. So, yeah. I knew yeah. it was still open, but it doesn't feel like it's still yeah. open. Yeah. You know, like it's one of those things that like it opened with a, a little bit of Ballyhoo <laughs> with Uma Thurman, but since then crickets. And I heard people, I mean, people liked it. It's not that it's just like because of the time it opened and what else has opened around that same time. And since then, it just seems to have gotten swallowed up. I, I didn't see it. So I don't, don't necessarily know if it deserved to be swallowed up, but it just seems like it's been underwhelming uh, in its response since then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, you know, Matt, we didn't cover the uh, the Academy Award winners in, in, in the show today. Yes, that's because we're recording around 12 o'clock on Sunday and the Academy oh. Awards have not yet happened. I'm sure you know that. Uh, but we'll talk about all the Academy Award winners uh, on tomorrow's episode because I'm, I'm sure that many of them will have some sort of theatrical connection. I can't believe that opening number. Ugh. It's terrible. <laughs> If, if Jimmy Kimmel sings and dances, I will be very upset. 
I'm telling, and then <laughs> to bring Faye Dunaway back to give that, you know, they, that's souls. That's actually that actually is happening. Faye Dunaway is presenting Best Picture along with uh, Warren Beatty again this year. So, knock on wood, they don't screw that one up. Well, it wasn't <laughs> their fault. Uh, I mean, it's kind of their fault. I mean, a little bit. Huh. I don't know about that. Yes. They, they were given the wrong envelope, but it also clearly said best actress and had uh, uh, Emma Stone's name at the top of it. So if, you know, I mean, put two and two together, but I mean, a little bit, not as much as the person who gave him the wrong envelope. But either, anyway, that's neither here nor there. All right. Why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMATT and subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Natalie, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Natalie underscore Nowak. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. 